Oh, okay. Wonderful. Thank you. All right, for sake of time, we're not going to go into any long introduction. We're going to jump right in because uh, with the baptism, it certainly uh, uh, impacts the, the time frame, but it fits right in the context of what we're talking about today. So I'm going to jump right in and say that we're in the study of Galatians, as Aaron has already pointed out. And today we're going to be focusing on chapter 2, verses 11 through 21. Uh, when Dave read uh, the scripture passage today, <clears throat> he uh, read from chapter, uh, chapter 2, 7 through 21. Uh, the purpose there was to give you the context, and I actually want to draw you into that context a little bit. The context of what uh, Paul has been writing to the Galatians in chapter 1 and 2 has really been a defense of, one, who he is as an apostle, and two, that his gospel is the same gospel as Peter and John and other apostles. And so Paul has been giving us proofs that his gospel and apostleship were genuine. And so I'm just going to remind you about two and then introduce a third, which will introduce, introduce us into the text today. The first proof that he offered was the, that the other apostles added nothing to his gospel. Chapter 2, verse 6, uh, Paul has, has, has stated that he... Um, he went to meet with the apostles, and after meeting and conferring with them, they, they decided, no, your gospel is the same as our gospel. There's nothing to add to it. You're not deficient in any way, Paul. And then the second proof he gave was that they gave him the right hand of fellowship. Not only did they approve him, uh, his gospel, but they approved him as an apostle to the Gentiles. Now, these proofs are extremely important for what Paul has been trying to get accomplished. He, is going, he wants to minister to the Galatians. He wants to love them. He wants to teach them. He wants to convey to them the deep truths of Scripture. But there have been these troublemakers that have come in, and they've challenged Paul, and, and challenged the Corinthians, but ultimately challenged Paul, and saying, your apostleship is deficient. Your gospel is different. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. I'm amazed, you Galatians, how quickly you leave the gospel of Christ. And so he had to establish in chapters 1 and 2 the clarity that his gospel is the same and his apostleship has authority, which leads us into the third proof that I think he's offered, is that in the text that was just read for us, and we'll look at it in detail uh, coming forward here, but Paul rightly rebuked Peter for his failure to live out the gospel before the church in Antioch. Now, what does it mean to not live out the gospel? I think that will become clear as we talk through, but I would like to challenge you right from the beginning to ask yourself, have you ever considered that others are watching the way you live? They, say, they know you say you're a Christian. Are, is the evidence of your life demonstrating that that's true? Is it, is it clear for them? And this is not a desire to, to again, I, I don't like guilt trips, but I'm always worried about giving you one. But it's not a guilt trip. It's just reality. People are watching us as Christians. And the soonest someone sees a Christian do something wrong, there is someone pointing a finger because they're watching and they want to they wanna discredit us to say that our gospel is not true. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ, the one that no other gospel does this, points out that we are sinners in need of a Savior. All people have to be confronted with their sin. And when a Christian can get discredited, people can walk away from the gospel feeling justified when they're not. And we're going to talk a lot about that in just a few moments. 
So, but he rightly rebuked Peter for failure to live out the gospel before the church. Uh, so, this is the main thought I'd like you to consider today. Uh, I have been prefacing these comments with the idea of no other gospel. That's kind of that's the theme of, of Galatians, uh, the theme of the at least the the presentation through these slides. But no other gospel grants justification to sinners before a holy God. Let me walk you through this for just briefly. Every word matters in this slide. All right? No other gospel. We're talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ as revealed in Scripture, in the Bible, and only the Bible. It grants something. This word grants, I use that because I could, I could have said the word gifts, G-I-F-T-S, but I struggle to say that clearly. And it's also uh, not as easy to walk through. The no other gospel grants or gifts justification. It, you could put the word graced. No other gospel graces us with justification. We'll talk about justification here in a minute. But as we talk about this, there is a unique gospel that we have believed as Christians that believe in what Scripture teaches us, right? There are many people out there that say they're Christians, but they believe a different gospel. It's one that is added to, and we'll talk about that. But no other gospel grants gives graces justification. What is this justification? I'll define it in a minute, but this idea of justification is something that we have received. It's not anything that we have earned for ourselves. It is granted to us. It's gifted to us. It's graced to us. I've said it three or four times now to really get this point across, that this justification that we're going to talk about quite a bit, this justification is not through any strength of our own. This justification, whatever it is, is given to sinners. Well, I've already identified it's been given to us, so we must be sinners, and we are. We are born into this world as sinners. We will continue to struggle with sin even after coming to faith in Christ. Sin will still have a foothold in our life. It will not ultimately be dealt with until Jesus Christ returns and puts all things at at the foot of His Father. All right? So this justification is for us, but it's also for those sinners who have not come to faith in Jesus Christ. Then we see through this title, this this challenge, why it's necessary. Why do we need this thing called justification? Because it's given to sinners before a holy God. This this adjective just before uh, God, that word holy, we could take that out, out of there. We could take that out of there and say no other gospel grants justification to sinners before God because we know there's only one God. But the world around us does not. They do not have a comprehension about God and His holiness. So by adding this adjective onto the name of God, it's the idea of of we recognize something that's true that the world does not understand. And that is sinners to be in the presence of a holy God does not happen happen. Holiness is God's otherness from sin. He's totally holy, totally good, totally separate from sin. How can sinners stand before a holy God? It's because they have been given, graced, gifted justification. So I hope that makes sense to you. No other gospel grants justification to sinners before a holy God. So let's define justification. I use the, this illustrate or this definition from Timothy George in his commentary on Galatians. He says, justification is the favorable verdict of God, the righteous judge, 
that one who formerly stood condemned has now been granted a new status at the bar of divine justice. Picture a courtroom. I've never actually been in one where I was the defendant, right? There is a difference between the the defendant and the plaintiff. I watch enough TV shows to know that, but I've never been in an actual courtroom for that purpose. Praise God. hope I never am. Uh, But I will say this. Each of us will stand... Each person who's ever been born will stand before some sort of judgment by God. For for those who have come to faith in Jesus Christ, it'll be a judgment of works. It will not be a judgment for salvation. It'll basically be a judgment for rewards. And we don't seek those rewards as in, oh, if I do a little bit more, I can get another reward. It's the idea, no, we just want to be faithful. As Christians, we want to love and serve God. and, And our works will be judged. Will they be Uh, Gold, silver, precious stones, which will survive the refining fire that will take place that day, figuratively or literally, I have no idea. Uh, Or will there be wood, hay, and stubble, which will be consumed, but 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 we'll, we'll still have salvation. We'll still enter into God's presence, but our works will not have generated any reward. That's a conversation for another day, but I will say this. There is a status that takes place between believers and God, and there's a status that, well, I mean, there's a judgment between believers and God, but there's a judgment between non-believers and God. That's, that's a judgment of salvation. Eternally in His presence in heaven, that's, that's believers. Eternity separated from God, that's hell, that's unbelievers. That's the stark reality. That's the, the bad news of the gospel. It's the context of the gospel. The gospel, the good, good news of Jesus Christ, makes it's not good news until you understand what the bad news is. So our hope is that you will come to faith in the, in the good news that has been uh, revealed to us in Scripture. But here we see this justification, this thing that's gift-granted grace to us, to sinners. It's a favorable verdict of God. If God is the judge, He gives a favorable verdict He says, the one that stands condemned to an eternity in hell has a new status of one redeemed. doesn't say that in the definition, but that's the idea. For us to be justified in the presence of God means this. The righteous judge has said, you are righteous because of your faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ and for no other reason. You have a new status. You are no longer a child of Satan. You're a child of God. You are no longer a slave to sin. You're a slave to righteousness. We have the ability to exercise and live out our faith in such a way that it brings glory to God that we could never do prior to coming to faith. So this idea of justification is is essential for us to understand as we live out our faith. It's a favorable verdict. God is saying, you are righteous in my eyes. The holy God looks upon all Christians who have come to faith. That is the definition of a Christian who have come to faith in Jesus Christ. And he says, I no longer see your sin. I see the righteousness of Jesus Christ in you. Your sin was laid on him at the cross. His righteousness has been given to you and it will stand for eternity. So our justification before God, I have five points I want to flesh out as we walk through the text. Our justification before God demands that we live consistent with the truth of the gospel. This no other gospel. Look at at what it says as we go into, uh, you've seen these words already. He says, now when Peter had come to Antioch, this is Paul speaking, I withstood him to his face. 
This might sound like a boastful act on Paul's part. Do not think that. This is, a, in a sense, a sermon illustration. An illustration in the letter that Paul is writing to the Galatians. He's saying, I am an apostle. My, my, uh, my gospel is the same as Peter's. I've given you multiple proofs, but this proof is I withstood Peter face to face. And although it doesn't say in the text, I think what we're supposed to walk away from here, and Peter received my rebuke. It doesn't say it, but it also does not say Peter went away, you know, crying and, and stamping his feet saying that somehow Paul was deficient. No, they have already met. They agreed. Nothing needs to be added to your gospel, Paul. We agree that we will go minister to the Jews. You go minister to the Gentiles. And as Peter is, excuse me, as Paul is defending his, his apostleship and his, and his uh, gospel, he says, I withstood Peter to his face. Why? Because he was to be blamed. This is, the idea here is that it was obvious to Peter. It was obvious to everyone else. Once Paul called it out and made it clear, they were all like, whoa, you're right, Paul. I should never have done what I did. That's the sense here as we go into the text. He says, I withstood Peter to his face because he was to be blamed. Why was he to be blamed? For before certain men came from James, we've talked about these people before briefly, he would eat with the Gentiles, but when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were the circumcision. What, what, what uh, Paul is explaining is, Peter lived one way at one point in time, and in a very near period of time, he lived a different way. And Paul was taking exception to Peter's actions. He said, before these certain men came, these certain men are the troublemakers, the, the Judaizers. They're saying that we are from the church in Jerusalem, you know, the one where James is pastor. And we're coming out here from that church. And we are saying that Paul's gospel is deficient because he is saying it's grace through faith in Jesus and we agree with that, they say, but they say what? Where Paul's gospel is deficient is you must also live out the whole law of Moses. And Paul's like, that's not true. Peter would say that's not true. That's not true. If you take the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's in faith alone, through grace alone, through Christ alone, as revealed in Scripture alone, if you take that gospel, you can't add anything to it or you have a different gospel, which Paul has already confronted them with in chapter 1. He says, but before these people came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. This is called table fellowship. It's the idea that, that these, they, there was, Peter had no issue. Remember, Peter is the one that God revealed uh, on that rooftop. And he said, kill, eat. And Peter says, I've never eaten anything unclean. And God said to Peter... In a vision, don't call anything that I've made clean, unclean. The message was, don't tell me that Gentiles cannot be Christians. I've made a way for them to come to faith in Christ and be forgiven of their sins. They are clean, just like you are, Peter. That was Peter. And he was living this truth out before these men came. But after these men came, it says... He withdrew and separated. The idea of maybe this took a, this would maybe have been a process. And isn't that the way Satan works in our lives? He doesn't just come into our life and say, "Don't you know? Uh, 
you know, you did this, but now do this. He, he doesn't just make it black and white for us. It's, he's, he's more subtle than that. And he, I think the I picture here is he drew Peter, and we'll see others, away over a short period of time, but drew them away nonetheless to where their actions were not revealing the gospel. He withdrew himself and separated. And Paul's saying, this is a problem, and he'll explain why. He said, Paul, uh, Peter did this because fearing those who were of the circumcision. He feared these people, the ones that were adding circumcision to the gospel. But I think they were also adding even more than that. That was a sign of the covenant. Circumcision was a sign of the old covenant. Paul is saying, no, 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 no. We're new covenant people. You can't sit there and live under the old covenant when Jesus has ratified a new covenant, which is explained in great detail in, in the book of Hebrews, which we'll get to someday. But we see here that Peter had a motivation for doing what he did, for eating with the Gentiles and then separating from them. And I think what we see is the fear of man can motivate us to pervert the gospel. Paul, I mean, Peter, if it had been black and white from the beginning, he never would have done it. But Paul has made him aware by confronting him. He says, Peter, you're perverting the gospel. The one that, you know, that you've preached and, and you preached on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 people got saved. That gospel, Peter, your actions in front of others are saying you don't believe it anymore. Could you imagine how Peter felt at that very moment? Now, I, I, I like to have some compassion for Peter. Uh, I personally find comfort in the fact that he makes so many mistakes uh, because I find him very, to be very human. And uh, that helps me in my sinfulness and my seeking of grace and forgiveness. So here we have, it says, uh, so we know Peter is uh, this man who is very powerful of speech, but yet he was drawn away and separated himself. And it was specifically because of the fear of man. And this same fear of man can pervert the gospel we are seeking to live out. Remember, we're in this series, this, this theme for the year, Shine the Light. Christ in us, our genuine faith in Christ, reveals Christ to our community. We desire to be a light to our community. We desire to be salt. We desire to impact the community around us for the glory of God, for the salvation of souls, for our edification. It's all in there. But listen, if we live in such a way that perverts the very gospel that we are saying we've preached, we've got a problem. And I'm thankful for Galatians that it brings this gospel right to the forefront. It brings this truth, I should say, right to the forefront, that we are capable of saying one thing but doing something else. We can also be drawn away uh, and, and not live consistent lives because the fear of man can motivate us to lead others astray. As bad as the previous news is that we might pervert the gospel, if we pervert it for ourselves only, then we're only leading one person to hell, right? If we believe a false gospel. Uh, and I've been careful there. You can't lose your salvation. I'm, I'm, I am saying a perverted gospel if one believes totally in a perverted gospel. They will. These, these false teachers, I do not believe they call themselves Christians. I don't think they are because they're adding something to the gospel that makes it a different gospel. But if, if one of them were to go to hell because they did that, okay, they're paying the consequence, Right? Peter is now being said uh, that he led others along with him. The fear of man can motivate us to lead others astray. Look at what it says in verse 13. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, speaking of Peter, 
so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. So Peter's sin led other people to sin, and that's what we see here, but even to the point where even Barnabas, remember Barnabas. Barnabas is Paul's co-worker. Barnabas is his companion to go on these missionary journeys. Barnabas is the guy that, if anybody had the gospel right, it was Barnabas and Paul. They went to the apostles in Jerusalem, and they, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Paul and Barnabas. But even Barnabas was led astray to pervert the gospel. And Paul, I think this is Paul just saying, blowing his mind. He said earlier, I'm amazed, I'm befuddled, I'm, I'm, I'm confused. I'm, how in the world, Galatians, that came to faith, how can you leave for us some other gospel which is not really a gospel? I think this is another illustration where he's saying, Peter, this sin that Peter did, it led others away, but it even led, blow my mind, Barnabas away. I think we have to be very careful, folks, to understand that the fear of man can motivate us to do things that we never think we're capable of doing. And that is why we must look ourselves in the mirror every day, asking ourselves, how are we living out this gospel? And is the way we're living it out telling others about this justification that we have in Jesus Christ? He calls it hypocrisy. So Peter led the Jews uh, himself. Uh, he was led astray. The rest of the Jews, even Barnabas, they were carried away with their hypocrisy. I included in the family happenings just a, a loose definition of hypocrisy. But listen, it's basically the idea of you say one thing, but you do something else. That's what Paul's confronting Peter with. You said one thing, you believe this, but your actions, Peter, are saying something else. You're a hypocrite, and so are the rest of the Jews and Barnabas. They're all hypocrites. And Paul's not doing this to defame them. He's calling this out to, he called this out in the original context to restore them. And he's calling it out to the Galatians to be a proof that, no, listen, this took place. It's a proof that my apostleship and my gospel is the same as Peter's because he received it. There is unity between them. He goes on to say in verse 14, but when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, right? They weren't straightforward. They weren't, they weren't living it out the way they should. I said to Peter before them all, if you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles, this is happening before the people came, and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews after they came? What Paul is saying is your actions are speaking to the Gentile Christians that somehow their salvation, their gospel is deficient when it's not. Peter, stop it. And he did. So that's, the, that's what we see in verses 11 through 14. We see this truth that our justification, as it was for Paul and Peter and all those believers, and it's the same for us, our justification before God demands that we live consistent with the truth of the gospel. What happens when you look in that mirror and you see a hypocrite? What happens in your heart? What happens in your, your, your relationship with God? Are you repenting of that? Because as a brother in Christ, you know, uh, he, we talked, we conversed just briefly about the family happenings. Uh, he was just wanting to point out maybe a, a, a deficiency, and I think it's there in the, in the uh, 
in the, great, in the uh, family happenings, but it's, here's an opportunity for me to clarify. If you see that hypocrite in the mirror, confess it and repent. That's the gospel in action. Don't live in your hypocrisy, and I think any gen- genuine believer would not. As the Holy Spirit brings conviction into your life and helps you to see what I'm saying and what I'm doing are not the same. My, my, my talk is not the same as my walk. We must have our walk and talk affirm one another. I did reach out. My daughters are here. I did reach out to Miss Long this past week and asked her to send me the lyrics to that song. If your walk talks and your talk talks, does your walk talk louder than your talk talks? Right? She didn't send it to me. Maybe you can get it from her, okay? But I thought about bringing you two up to maybe sing it for it. No, that's not going to happen. Okay. All right. If your walk talks and your talk talks, does your walk talk louder than your talk talks? Does your, does your, does your walk affirm your talk? We're saying justification, what we have, it must. That is what we are called to. Because the second point I want to make is our justification before God is by faith in Christ alone not by practicing works of the law. We're not going to spend as much time on this one because I think we've touched on it and we'll continue to touch on it, but let's look at verse 15 and 16. He says, We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus, Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. Notice these words. He's saying, we who are Jews by nature. He's saying, he's including himself in this. They, the Jewish nation, the Jewish people, had the privilege of God's word being communicated to them. Yes, through the the glorious Mount Sinai experience, but then through the written word, through, through Moses, and they lived out this Mosaic covenant. They lived out this because they had the, the, the privilege of being exposed to the word of God. They weren't like the sinners of the Gentiles who did not have this special opportunity. So he's not saying that we as Jews who are better than Gentiles, he's saying we Jews who actually should be held in more accountability because of all that we know. He's saying, listen, we Jews by nature, we know something. We know that we're not justified by works. We know that we will be justified by faith in Christ. This is talking about Jewish Christians. And we know at the end there that no flesh shall be justified uh, at all. Right? So this is this is idea. Paul is very focused on this idea of justification, but he says this justification only comes by faith. You will not be justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus. Paul's gospel is the same gospel. He says that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. He's saying it from every angle. He's saying this justification that we have, right, is by faith in Christ alone, not by practicing the works of the law. And, and I, I'm, we're not going to spend much more time on it. I'm just saying that's what he's saying. I do believe that the, that very last clause there in verse 16, for by the works of the law no flesh shall be justified. That is probably the central teaching of this section. That we cannot think that our good works, we're not, we're not Jewish, So we're not living out the Mosaic law. We're not seeking to do that. But we are 
potentially trying to live a good life. I'm a good person. Uh, I, I certainly haven't done this, 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 and this. But listen, if you are somehow trusting in some other standard than in the person and work of Jesus Christ, you're trusting in a false gospel. You need to come faith in the true gospel because there's no other gospel that grants justification for sinners to stand before a holy God. All right? So we see that's uh, 15 and 16. We, when we get into 17, we see that our justification before God does not promote a lifestyle of sin. I think this is uh, in the concept. We just had a baptism earlier, and, and Pastor Jeff read the Scripture out of uh, Romans chapter 6. This, is, this portion we're going to enter into right now is, is uh, a sister passage of that, but the Romans 6 is longer than what Paul will deal with here. But listen, we ought to know that our salvation in Christ, our genuine faith in Christ that produces salvation because of faith in God's grace, right? Because of all that working together, certainly we can't live a life that, that discredits that very thing that Christ did on the cross for us. We cannot promote a lifestyle of sin. It's called license. License in response to grace. God has given me grace. He's given me forgiveness. I did not deserve it. I'm going to go out and sin any which way I can because as in the Romans passage it says, well, since, since sin abounds and grace abounds more, should we sin more so there's more grace? And, and Paul says, God forbid. Here he says, But if we, while we seek to be justified by Christ, which they are doing, we ourselves also are found sinners, which is what the gospel teaches. Is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. Paul is saying here, he's like, listen, we might get a little glimpse as to what some of the accusations towards Paul. Paul, you're not really an apostle like Peter is. Paul, your gospel is not the same as Peter. And he's saying, Paul, your gospel, it leads people to license, a lifestyle of lasciviousness, of, of free living, of, of sinful living, trusting in the grace of God. That's what they're saying. Free grace, free grace, free grace, Paul. That's some of the things thrown out in the world today about the gospel. Paul is saying, no. I'm saying grace alone and Christ alone through faith alone as revealed in Scripture alone. That's what I'm saying. That's what, that's what Paul is communicating. But we see here they may be accusing him, and now he may be addressing that accusation. He says, but if we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are also found sinners. That's what the gospel does, I think, is that when we are, are coming to, uh, when we discover our sinfulness, right, that's when we come to faith and we're justified. But he says, is there are those who are promoting this idea of license. Is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. We know that to be true. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. Uh, so we see that our justification before God does not promote a lifestyle of sin or, or a, li- a license type uh, life. Rather, seeking to live by the law, in verse 18 it will explain, it shows our sinfulness. Paul is very succinct here in Galatians where he flushes this out a little bit more in Romans. But we're going to stick with the Galatians text today and we're going to see, for if I build again those things which I destroyed. Now, as Paul's referencing this, Paul did actually not do the destruction. Jesus did. He broke down the middle wall of partition. Jews and Gentiles uh, are coming together. They're one family. They're united in Christ. He's saying, listen, if I have come to faith in Christ, I can't run back to the law and think it's going to do anything for me. 
Because it's like, it's like rebuilding what's been destroyed. He says, listen, if I do that, I make myself a transgressor. If I run back to the law, all it does is show me that I'm a sinner. I'm a transgressor. That's the purpose of the law. When you think about the Ten Commandments, when you think about all the other stuff associated with the, with the Mosaic Law, I ask you to consider this. It's pointing the finger at your sin and at my sin. It's telling us very clearly, we don't measure up to God's standard. It's only by recognizing that that we can come to faith in Christ, which uh, we're going to get into next. It says, our justification before God frees us uh, to live to God. This is actually a quote out of verse 19. It says, for though I, uh, for I through the law died to the law, that I might live to God. There are those words. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is, this is that passage of Scripture that if you were a new believer, if you're involved in Awana, it's probably one of the first things kids lose. Uh, first, kid, first thing kids learn. And, and that is, I've been crucified with Christ. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, in your own mind, I ask you can, you, can you recite this passage? It's probably in there somewhere. You can get some of the main points. Well, Paul is, is rehearsing this text to the Galatians in, in the context that we've been talking about. And what he's saying is, to live for God, this, this idea of, of uh, our justification frees us to live for God. He says, the law drove me to Jesus. This recognition of my sin that the law exposed... I realized on that road to Damascus, I can't do anything to satisfy the law. And it drove him to Jesus. Look what it says. Well, actually, uh, next. In the way he fleshes this out, Paul realized that there is no salvation through obeying the law. The world, many in the world still believe this, by the way. The law exposed his sinfulness and his need for a Savior. He says in verse 19, For I, through the law, died to the law that I might live for God. Paul is saying, through the law that exposed my sin, I died to it. I realized that in Christ, when he died, I died. The law moved me to Jesus, drove me to Jesus. I, through the law, it revealed my sin, exposed my sin, that I might live for God. So this is what we're going to see. Christ's death was Paul's death. Christ's life is Paul's life. That's what we see here. For though I, through the law it exposed my sin, I died. What is he saying? He says, I've been crucified with Christ. Verse 20 is basically bringing, putting more meat on the bones of verse 19. And so let's learn them together. The law, I died to the law, but I now live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. Christ's death is my death. And he says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Christ's life is our life. Have you died in Christ? That comes through confession of sin, repentance, and reception of Jesus Christ as your Savior. When you receive him, as, as testimony was given by Levi earlier, as he stood in that water, identifying himself with Christ on the cross, and his death and his resurrection, he's saying, I'm united in the death of Christ, but I'm also united in the resurrection and the eternal life of Christ. That's all Paul's saying here. 
I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer uh, I who live, but Christ lives in me. Christ's life is my life. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. This is beautiful. Paul lives his life by faith in Jesus, both his person and his work. That's what he says here. He's saying the life which I now live in the present, this is for us. I'm living it in the flesh. I live by faith. Faith in what? Faith in the Son of God and faith in Him who loved me and gave Himself for me. How did Jesus give Himself for us? On the cross. It's His person and His work. It's the essential elements of the gospel. You must have the person, God's Son, and His work, His atoning death, substitutionary death on that cross for you in order to understand the true gospel. Paul's saying, listen, his, his death is my death, his life is my life, and I now live by faith in him and what he has done for me. Lastly, we see that our justification before God is by grace alone. I've said it multiple times, but we see to believe in a works righteousness is to believe Jesus died for nothing. This is the final point, but I want you to understand this is significant because what he says here is, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Now, don't let me lose you. Hold on for another minute. Remember, Paul has used Peter as the sermon illustration. And he's saying, Peter, the way you're living out What you say is the gospel is preaching a different gospel. And ultimately, Peter, it's saying that Christ died in vain. That would not have made Peter happy. And that's why I believe Peter repented of it. And again, we have no record one way or the other. But I think Paul was using this saying, no, this this is true. When we have a deficient gospel, Jesus died for nothing. When our walk and our talk do not match, people do not see the clarity of the gospel. They are confused. You say this, but you're doing this. And I say, if you say something and you're doing something, you're a hypocrite. I'm a hypocrite. And what are we supposed to do? Repent. Repent. And, and make sure your walk and your talk are the same because it's what professes Christ at work in your life. And we need to seek to do that because why? Because we, we want people to know that Christ died for us, out of love. It's not, it's not nothing, but it mattered Peter how Peter felt uh, when he came to this realization. I'm assuming he repented. So no other gospel grants justification to sinners before a holy God. And that, that truth is something that will, if we, if we will recite some of these things in the mirror in the morning as a reminder, as we walk out into the world, I think we'll see people respond in our lives to the way we live and the way we speak the gospel to them. And they will be drawn to our Savior so that they too can be justified. And they too can have fellowship with God for eternity. I hope that, I hope that lands on your heart and mind the way I intended it to. Um, we need to close this portion of prayer as we sing one last song. But I'm so thankful for this church because I do believe God has called us here for our community and for New England. And that's to be ambassadors of the gospel wherever we go. Let's own that and let's live it out. Father, I thank you for this time and your word. I thank you that Christ's death is our death and that Christ's life is our life. I'm thankful, Father, for all the truths 
that are exposed through a clear understanding of the gospel. Lord, I pray that we would seek to understand the gospel more clearly, more deeply in our own lives so that, Lord, as we as individual Christians and as, as brothers and sisters together, we can be a clear example of the gospel to those in our community. Lord, may you be glorified as we respond in faith to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.